Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 83. It's titled, Please Save More. In last week's episode, I mentioned I recorded it and was visiting Cincinnati. And while I was there, I went through my old neighborhood and I passed the house where my grandparents used to be, Lawrence and Alice Stein. They've since passed away, my grandmother in 1969 when I was very, very small, and my grandfather in 1981. My grandpa Stein worked for the same company his entire life, Kirk and Bloom Manufacturing Company. He joined them when he was around 18 or 20. And this is a sheet, metal sheet manufacturing company. It started in 1907 by Sylvester Kirk and Richard Bloom. They had been former employees of the Cincinnati Blowpipe Company. And a blowpipe is really an, it's an archaic term for ductwork used to convey dust from woodworking, tobacco processing, etc. And so this company would manufacture sheet metal to do the essentially these, I guess, these blowpipes and other custom metal projects. My, fa- my grandfather was a foreman. And 45-plus years, he worked for this company. Kirk was the older of the two founders, and my grandfather knew him very well. He was the shop foreman. He had a volatile temper and had, it was missing numerous fingers because he had lost it in, in the line of his work. His brother, Sylvester, was the bookkeeper and the salesman. And his motto was early to bed, early to rise, work like hell, and advertise. This was a family-oriented company. During the Great Depression, they had rolling layoffs so that no one worker would be out of work for an extended length of time. And my, my grandfather was there during the Great Depression, and he was there during World War II, and where they did a lot of work for the Navy, and he was there through the 50s, and he retired either in the late 60s or early 70s. He retired at the age, I think he was probably 65, and he lived until he was 74. So he died in, when he was 74, which was pretty typical. During the, at the turn of the century, near when my father, my grandfather was born, There was no retirement. 75% of males over the age of 65 were working. And if you weren't working, it was because you were disabled. So life expectancy was only, it was 49 years. But if you lived to be age 60, you really would only live to age 72. And so workers just worked. and, And if they happened to live a long time, then their families would take care of them. There was no private pension plan system. In 1899, there was only 13 private pension plans. Now, much of this data I'm getting in terms of statistics on the early retirement systems comes from a paper that it will be in the show notes, episode 83, Timeline of the Evolution of Retirement in the United States. It was prepared by the Georgetown University of Law Center. So, turn of the century, beginning of the 20th century, you typically the average expected age, if you live to be age 60, you would die at age 72. By 1935, when the Social Security Act was passed, if you made it age 65, you could expect to live another 12 years to age 
77. And so life expectancy for your 60 to 65 year olds had extended another five years. Today, though, an average 65 year old male can expect to live to age 84.3 and the average female to 86.6. So life expectancies, once you reach what is now considered retirement age, you can expect to live much longer. Now, it's just the average. The average expectation is 85. I believe a quarter of the population lives to be past age 90. And so this has had a profound impact on Social Security because when, when Social Security was passed, the, the, the expectation was that generally people wouldn't live that long, and so it was an affordable program. The same for pension plans. And now, because life expectancy Expectancies are much longer. It is one of the reasons that most employees are not covered by a private defined benefit pension plan. That's what my grandfather had. had. When he retired, he got a set amount each month for the remainder of his life based on the 40 plus years that he had worked for Kirk and Bloom and based on his final salary years. I have my grandfather's identification badge from Kirk and Bloom. It looks like the picture was taken when he was about 30, as well as the pin that he had after 30 years of service. They are the, the lead picture for this particular episode. If you remember the Insider's Guide, I link to that, or you can go to the, the show notes, episode 83, and see those pictures. My grandfather was lucky. He was one of those that had the benefit of a defined benefit pension plan. In 1940, only 15% of private sector workers were covered by such plans. During World War II, the government froze wages. There were price controls in order to keep inflation in check. But corporations, companies, businesses could provide other non-wage benefits, including health insurance and retirement benefits. And that's when many companies started adopting it. During, so by 19, so 15% of private sector workers had defined benefit pension plans or access to them. By 1950, the number was 25%. In 1960, it was 40% or 41%. And it peaked in 1980 at 46%. Then something happened a couple years before. In 1978, Congress passed the Revenue Act of 1978, it allowed pre-tax employee contributions to deferred compensation plans. We know those now as 401k plans in the U.S. or defined contribution plan. And they were this this section, this act, and the section of the code, which is what 401ks are named after the, the Internal Revenue Service Code was not intended to replace defined benefit plans, but they have. Today in the U.S., only 18% of private sector employees have access to a defined benefit plan. That is a huge change from more than half, or almost half in 1980 to only 18% today. And, And I saw that in my business. When I first got into the investment advisory space, an institutional investment firm, in 1995, my grandfather's firm, Kirk and Bloom, he had long since left, was a client of ours. 
as were a number of other industrial firms, the chemical companies, other steel manufacturing companies, and we were hired to help them with their defined contribution plan. I would go, I had this chemical company client, and I would go to their break room at the end of a shift once a year, and I'd have my suit on, they would be in their work clothes, and I look like a dork. I'm up front with my PowerPoint slides, got my overhead projector, and I'm talking to them about the difference between large cap equity and small cap equity and international and how you need to build a portfolio with diversification and save a lot and save as much as you can. And it went over the head and they could have cared less because they just wanted to go home. And and they would fall asleep because they'd been working third shift all night, even though I brought donuts to try to keep them awake. It was a complete farce trying to get them to understand this in many cases, the pension plan had been frozen, so they, their benefits were, were they weren't going to accrue any more payments, and so that now they had to save it on their own, and they would get a company match. Here's the thing, though: the Department of Labor or the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates per plan participant costs for defined benefit plans are seventy percent higher than defined contribution plans. 70% higher. And most of those costs are contributions to the plan, which means that your typical business is not contributing as much in their match than they were contributing before, which means, by and large, that, that 3% match doesn't cut it. Now, I was also a pension consultant, so I had one pension plan. It was a several hundred million dollar plan. It was another one of these industrial companies. Started in Muncie, Indiana, had since moved out to Colorado. But they had a legitimate pension plan. Look at the resources they had. They had actuaries that would come in and help them figure out how much they needed to contribute in order to be able to pay these future benefits to their employees. They had me to help them with their asset allocation to help achieve the targeted rate of return the plan needed to achieve to meet those benefits. They had professional investment managers, not high-cost mutual funds, but separately managed accounts across the board, very diversified, including asset classes that your typical employee can't get access to, such as private equity, leverage buyout funds, venture capital funds, private real estate. This provided additional diversification, and these big pension plans, such as this one, had the buying power to negotiate much, much lower fees than employees can get through a defined contribution plan. But even one time I was in a meeting with this investment committee, which was made up of the CEO, the CFO, and the head of HR, the controller and other employees, and me, and they were discussing freezing their pension plan and providing a match. And they had these discussions. And, and at the time, I just, I still didn't, the, the whole time I was a pension consultant, I, I really was not very good because I didn't understand defined benefit plans. I should have, if I, if I knew then what I knew now, I should have raised my hand and tell them that is completely unfair. The problem is, Employees just don't they they don't have they don't have the expertise 
to manage their retirement. They don't have outside professionals helping them figure out what their asset allocation is going to be. I had one manufacturing company that I worked for. The CFO, first of all, he was was terrified he was going to get sued as a fiduciary of the plan that they weren't doing everything they could. But he was also terrified because employees would say, how should I invest my plan? What should I do? How are you invested? And he didn't know how to answer that because they, they didn't have any idea. Most individuals have no idea even what percentage of their household income they should save for retirement. The Employee Benefit Research Institute did a survey in 2015, earlier this year. It showed 27% of workers had no idea what percentage of their household income they should save. 20% thought they needed to save more than 30% of their income to retire comfortably. 8% thought the amount needed to be less than 10%. In other words, it was all over the board, and more than 60% of respondees weren't, were, they said they were either not too confident or not at all confident with their answer. That same survey indicated 35% of respondents had less than $1,000 in savings and investments apart from their primary residence and apart from any type of defined benefit plan that they might have access to, most of which, as we've seen, don't have it. 61% of respondents have less than $50,000 in savings and investment. The reality is most individuals have no idea how much they should be saving for retirement, and most, if they're saving it at all, are surely not saving enough. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. How much do you save for retirement? It's a tough, tough question. I have a spreadsheet that I share with you, I think it was episode 17, my 15 or 17, are you saving enough to retire early? I'm going to link to that spreadsheet again in the show notes of this episode, episode 83. If you remember my insider's guide, I will have already sent you that spreadsheet and you can sign up for the insider's guide anytime at moneyfortherestofus.net. Go there each week, I email you the show notes. I'll email you the links to the valuable content like that, like this spreadsheet, and a summary article describing or sort of providing an overview of that episode. But this spreadsheet is something you can use to figure out 
how much you're saving for retirement. If you go to that page, it has a video describing the spreadsheet and you put in your dollar amount that you are saving this year, the percent that you think you will increase that amount, what you think your return will be in your investment portfolio, and what inflation will be. And what you can do is figure out, are you saving enough? And here's an, here's an example. I, I did this with the spreadsheet. Let's say a household has no savings. So they're just starting. It's a couple, perhaps, and they earn $80,000 per year. And they decide to save 10% of that household income in their 401k. That's including the match. So that would, they would start out at $8,000 in year one. And assume that they can earn 6% annualized each year. Now, that, that's a, back when we would do, I was a pension consultant, the actuarial rate of return on those plans was about 8%. Those days are gone. 6% is actually somewhat of an aggressive target given where interest rates are. But let's go ahead and use it, 6%. And there, this particular couple is going to increase their savings each year by 4%. And we're going to assume that inflation is 3%. Now, after 30 years, they will have accumulated just about a million dollars. One million dollars. That seems like a lot. But is that a lot 30 years from now? Let's look at an example. So the traditional wisdom is you can spend... In your first year of retirement, 4%. So in their case, that would be $40,000. And then they would increase that amount by the rate of inflation. Now, if you go back to episode 61, I talk about these spending rules. And, and that, that episode is, is how much can you, can you spend when you retire. So we're not going to go into that here. But that's so $40,000 in their first year of retirement. Let's assume that they're going to receive $20,000 in social security benefits. So that would be $65,000 to spend in their first year of retirement, which is roughly 80% of their their one their their salary back 30 years prior. That's not quite going to cut it, is it? Cuz if you look at if we look at it on an inflation or look at the impact on inflation, the $65,000 that they could live on back when they first started saving, so let's say that's, that's the 80% of the $80,000 that they first started receiving when they started working, $65,000 living expenses equal in today's dollars or 30 years later would be $158,000. Now, that might have been confusing how I said that, and that's where <laughs> look at the spreadsheet – but, but essentially, $65,000 today is the same as $158,000 30 years from now if inflation is 3%. You would need $158,000 to buy $65,000 of goods and services today. And that's where this, this whole concept of inflation can really, really eat in to to our retirement, which is why we have to save more. This was a couple saving 10%. Now, a couple caveats. Social Security benefits are $25,000. 30 years from now, because of inflation, the Social Security benefit will be much higher. 
Now, I get questions occasionally on whether in the U.S. Social Security is going to be there for retirees. I can tell you that it is, or I feel highly confident that it is, because if it's not, there will be mass starvation because most people aren't saving anywhere near what they need to retire. So this was a couple spending saving 10%. The reality is most households should be saving 15 to 20% of their income. When, when my kids start wor- working full-time, my counsel to them is save, find a way to save 20%, pre-tax, or just start and start now, start early. Back when I was an investment advisor, I would have family members and friends often ask me to look at their 401k plan and help them figure out, are they saving enough and how should they allocate among the funds? And and I I would help them and I would kind of look at the funds and often I was appalled at the quality of the 401k plan in terms of the funds were expensive and oftentimes they had lousy choices and and even at my old firm, some of these, when I started there, some of these manufacturing plans or companies, I spent a lot of time, you know, I would do a quarterly newsletter for my clients in terms of, and I would spend all this time describing how such and such Merrill Lynch fund or such and such Fidelity fund in the plan performed that quarter. It was meaningless to these employees because that's not what they should be doing. I should have just said save, save, save more and work like crazy to get a better, more cost-effective plan in there. And, but the, the options in many cases weren't there because some of the, the big plans like, like Vanguard, you couldn't access because the fees were very, very high. I'm going to tell you about a solution here in a minute that I have since found. But as part of this process... Oftentimes, people, as I would work with them, they just wouldn't understand the difference between the fund options. And, and I, I would sometimes kind of, not frustrated, but just amazed at, because sometimes I forget the gap between your typical employee and what they know about investing and, and, and what I know. It's just, just the simple basics between what's the difference between the fund offerings and, and why and, and how... They're going to do different in different market environments. And oftentimes, I, I, at this point, if somebody asked me, I would say, just when do you want to retire and choose a target date fund, 2030 fund, 2040 fund, and, and that, and let the plan sponsor just allocate so you don't have to worry about it. I, I spent way too much time arguing my former partners about the glide path, in other words, what the allocation should be in these target date funds as investors age. Just invest in that. If, if you just want it simple, just focus on it and don't try timing it. Just That's the simplest solution unless you're really, really into investing and most employees aren't. Focus on saving and saving more. But I would do searches occasionally and try to help clients find a new plan administrator. And it was very, very frustrating because it was like comparing apples and oranges and the fees were all across the board, even if you could understand the fees. About a week ago, I got 
I was contacted by a company I had not heard of. It was, it's called For Us All, and they're focused on helping small companies establish a 401k plan. I was talking to my neighbor about this because they, they have a small retail business. They would like a 401k plan. And, and prior to some of these low-cost offerings, there just wasn't an option. But this particular neighbor can get a plan for about $94 a month for their employees. And then the expense ratio is about 0.54%, I believe, which is very, very low. That includes the expense ratio on the underlying funds. The funds are Vanguard. They're all index funds. And and I was amazed that this solution existed because it did not exist 10 years ago. And more, this this for us all acts like they are a fiduciary of the plan. They're integrated with the, the payroll and so it takes such a huge headache off the employer. I mean, remember how stressed that CFO was at one of my former clients, worried about getting sued as a planned fiduciary because they messed up in terms of the communication they needed to provide to their employees or in terms of changes employees made, or there was a delay. And, and it is so much easier now because of the technology. And the fees are much lower. And so if you are a company owner, small business, a few employees, and you'd like to offer a 401k and you haven't had the opportunity to, there are solutions out there. One of them is for us all. You can get information for that. Go ahead and go to moneyfortherestofus.net. On episode 83, you, you click a link and you'll, you'll be taken to for us all, or you can go to forusall.com. But if you go through the website, either through episode 83 or on my homepage, click the link, and you select to do a demo, I will receive, you'll be able to help out the show because I'll be able to, the, the show will get some compensation for that. I don't care. You can go directly to the site if you want, forusall.com if you want to help out the show, but go check it out. I was amazed at how much better solution it was, way, way better than what I was doing for my former clients because more so... Here's what's interesting about this company. They have a virtual advisor that I I think they call him Dave, Dave the advisor. Same name as me. How funny is that? So, But this advisor is is virtual, so it helps them interactive because what they have found is employees don't want 401k help after an eight-hour shift. And and whether or not they're not, they're just not, I mean, the studies show that you can do all the education you want on site and the employees will leave and say that, yeah, they're going to raise their, the amount they save and, and most won't do it. But when an employee is interested about the retirement, maybe it's on a Saturday night or, or a Sunday or something, they can go and get the education they want and at that very moment make the change to their plan. And it's had a phenomenal impact. And I'm just pleased that there's solutions out there like that. I wish most of you had access to a defined benefit plan. But we don't. I don't. Most of you don't. If you do, you're very, very lucky. If you don't, you're just going to have to save and save more and probably have to take advantage of some type of annuity in your old age. When my grandfather retired, how did Kirk and Bloom, his company, 
his employer 47 years, pay him out or, or structure that retirement. They probably annuitized it. They went out and bought a single premium immediate annuity. In other words, they took a portion of the retirement assets and put it with an insurance company, and that insurance company has promised to pay my grandfather the rest of his life. I talk about these single premium immediate annuities in episode 32. Most retirees are probably going to have to take advantage of that somehow. So go ahead and listen to that episode. This is completely different than index universal life and whole life insurance. This is way, way simpler and way, way more applicable to retirees. And there's even no load or commission-free versions you can get access to. So that is episode 83. Please save and save more. Look at the spreadsheet or look at some type of retirement calculator. And the reality is you probably need to save more than you are. Get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. And if you would like a little more help, I, I mentioned that most people don't have actuarial actuaries to help them or advisors to help them select their 401k allocation or figure out what their asset allocation should be. I'm not an investment advisor, so I can't do that either. I can't give you specific advice. But what I can do is if you join the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, I can provide some asset allocation guidance. I create expected returns for different asset classes over 10 years, and I provide models so that you can figure out, well, what can you, what can you earn investing And there's even a spreadsheet you can download and you can customize up to 24 different asset classes and figure out what you can earn over the next 10 years. And that can help you select how you want your 401k plan allocated. Or you can just invest in the target date fund and let the particular plan sponsor do it for you. But you can get more information on the hub and the education there, the asset allocation models there at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.